You're listening to a podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you alone are worthy of our worship. I confess here, Lord, that oftentimes we don't worship you in the way that we ought to. And I know I do that in my own life. We worship, and I worship other things. Worship people and positions and, and Lord, real life and real life with you starts with the worship of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That example that we saw with the shepherds, the wise men, who worshipped you, who praised you, and they didn't even know exactly how everything would turn out and wouldn't fully understand and see and be aware of the sacrifice that you would make by sending your son to this earth. And now, Lord, because of your word and because of history, we get to see this incredible sacrifice, this love that was poured out for us, and you are the Messiah. And we worship you today. We worship you as we even listen to the word of God tonight or today that we would worship you by allowing it to penetrate and to transform lives and and to take heed to the warning and to allow your word to, to cut and to, to do a chiseling work in our life, Lord, so that we would be reflecting more and more of you, Lord Jesus. And we don't do it on our own strength. We need your strength. We need your spirit to, to fill us, to empower us daily for this to happen. We need your word to guide us and to be that bedrock of truth in our lives. And we need the body of Christ to come alongside and encourage and challenge and walk with us and There's something just beautiful about all those things we just described. And Lord, I pray that we would grow in those things today. We would be challenged and transformed and walk out of here. And this would be, for some, for all of us in various ways, transformational in how we we see life and how we see the circumstances around us and know that in all things you are working together for good, our good, even though sometimes it doesn't look like that. Help us to see through and to fight through and to know that in you, Lord Jesus, there is the victory. We give you the praise and the glory. We pray for Harvest Kids as they're learning God's word today too, as it is helping to build that foundation of truth in their life in a world that is so broken. We're just so thankful for those who serve and to help in that ministry to be able to, to work alongside these children to help guide them in the truths of your word. And we pray that there would be many children that would come through these doors and be ministered to through harvest in that way. Father, we pray for this school. We thank you for it. We thank you for the great opportunity we have to use this. And we pray for the teachers and for the students and all of the staff that, it, that um, are, are here on a daily basis. And, and Lord, we pray your blessing upon this school. May, may even our presence, just knowing that we are here, may we be people of prayer that this would be a place where there would be many children and staff members that over the weeks and the months and the years ahead would come to know you, that, that uh, you would just do a great work here in this part of Kelowna and throughout our city. And we claim that and we believe that in the name of Jesus. When you do that, you work in and through your children who are desiring to, to follow you and to be not just disciples, but to go out and make other disciples and to see that work of grace happen in the lives of others. So do a mighty work in and through us, we pray, in this part of our city, throughout 
this city and province and our nation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, we'll be looking at that in a few moments. Luke chapter 1. There's something about the Christmas season, and oftentimes when you think about Christmas that you can kind of go, ah, in either a good way, you love it, or it's like, ah, this is a crazy season. And, and, and you hear those words, it's the most wonderful time of the year, the lights, the carols, the, the baking, the, the gifts, the, the turkey, the, the family, and and the incredible stories you get to hear. I mean, I get so touched at times when I hear of some of the stories that either corporations or individuals or groups of people will do this Christmas season to, to encourage, to, to come alongside of others who maybe wouldn't be having the Christmas that they will now have because of their generosity. And, and there's just something... I will confess, I enjoy going to the mall. I don't enjoy shopping, but I enjoy going to the mall during the Christmas season because there just seems like that electricity in the air, and I'm just glad I don't have to fight through a lot of crowds. I love to go and people watch, as, and, and I love to watch my wife shop, um, as long as she doesn't spend too much. But, you know, some of these things, I mean, there is something great about the Christmas season, but there's also something on the other side, the traffic jams, the crowds, the excessive eating. <laughs> which is a terrible thing. Um, well, it is in January because you pay for it. And then also another, you know, unfortunate thing is, you know, turmoil this Christmas season. Whether it's drunk driving, whether it's drinking too much, the heavy debt that we, we, we kind of build up this month that then needs to be paid back. Stressed out parents, sugared up children, whiny kids. Um, did you hear in Regina, it was actually at the elementary school that I went to, I laughed when I heard it, it was Arcola Community School, two mothers, I shouldn't be laughing, but two mothers got in a fight after the Christmas program this past week. One was sent to the hospital, the other one was arrested on assault charges. And it's just, it's the most wonderful time of the year, isn't it? I just thought, oh my goodness, that's crazy. You know, how, how does that happen? Well, because people are kind of, you know what, just, just, I mean, they're running life on full anyways, and it's almost like this just kind of pushes them over the edge, this whole Christmas kind of thing. And then this week, I was standing in line at a Tim Hortons, and, and I heard um, these these men talking at their table, and they were probably my age, maybe a little older, maybe a little younger, somewhere in there, and they were talking about Christmas and, and what their kids, kids want and what their kids, you know what, are, are kind of demanding. One guy even said, when I, if I buy my son a gift, he'll just throw it back to me, and then he said a few curse words, and he said, just give me cash, Dad, I don't want this, you know, and I'm like, really? Is this what it's come down to? And then the other guy said, yeah, my kids are preparing for college and they've given me the list of all the stuff they want. And I thought, it's the most wonderful time of the year, isn't it? You know, and, uh, you know, and, and, and so I had to go through this, but then it's also, it can be a real season of hope and a real season of kind of excitement. And, and here in Kelowna, we get spoiled because on, right on Harvey, we get to see that tree of hope. I get excited every year when I start to see it going up. I think we have a picture of it here. John Luke, if you could put that next picture up, that'd be great. And uh, in this tree of hope, you'd be able to see it if we kind of had things set up a little bit more normal. But 25, I, I've heard a debate, 25 or else 36,000 bulbs that are in this. They're now LED and, uh, and just something beautiful about this. And, and even the charity of the, the tree of hope does some great things every year in our city. And, and, um, and so Christmas can be that time of hope. And, and all of us have that hope even going into this Christmas. We hope it's a good one. 
We hope the family gets along. We hope that everyone makes it home for Christmas. Or maybe we hope that some people don't make it home for Christmas. And, you know, all of these different things. I hope that I buy the right presents. I hope I receive the right presents. And we get... just even this past week, I was really touched and just really saddened by a, a friend that I've been able to get in contact with this past, um, just this past week, a, a friend from our Alberta days. This year, he told me they've had three funerals in their family. Their son, who was in his 20s, his mother-in-law, who died very quickly and unexpectedly, and his sister. And he says, I'm hoping next year will be a better year. And I thought, that's for sure. This week on December 11th, I phoned my aunt who lives in Regina and uh, phoned her because it was her birthday and to wish her a happy birthday. She's recovering from a tumor, uh, a surgery that removed a cancerous tumor in her head just in the last number of weeks. And her and the family and we all are hoping that she'll have a good Christmas and, and that 2015 will be one that will see some encouraging news for her. Hope. We sing about it in Christmas carols. We hear, I think it's a John Lennon who wrote the, the song initially. Others have, have sung it now. We, let's hope it's a good one without any fear. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, that, that old Christmas carol, it goes, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And we know that it, hope is not meant in a city, but it's meant, met in a person. Hope, it's something we sing about. It's something we, we hope for. And that first Christmas, there was a lot of hope going on. The wise men who were on a journey were hoping to find the king. The shepherds were hoping to, to, to find Jesus in, in the stable that the, that the angels had told them about. And let's get there. We hope we can find him. And Mary and Joseph, they had certain hopes and dreams as a, as a young couple coming together in a relationship, getting excited about a wedding. But for everyone that first Christmas, when you think about it, all of the, the, the players, if you want to say it, all of the people who were involved in it, it was about life getting interrupted. And how fitting, the first Christmas was one of life getting interrupted. And how about our first Christmas? That's what our series title is called these next few weeks is First Christmas because it's our first Christmas. And so we're looking at the first Christmas. So how ironic and how uh, sense of humor that the Lord has that our first Christmas would be about life getting a little interrupted as well. Hopefully next week we'll go maybe be a little smoother, but who knows? Um, we just have to leave that in God's hands as we learned this week. And so here is Mary, especially she is one who had her life majorly, majorly interrupted. No one would have her, her hopes interrupted more than her. Teenage girl, probably 15 years old. She was no doubt hoping for a nice little marriage and, and a nice life together with this really good-looking carpenter guy by the name of Joseph, and they were going to have a nice, simple life together. They were going to work hard, and her husband, or her husband-to-be was already that hard worker, and he was a righteous man. He loved the Lord, and she loved the Lord. And then one day, her life got majorly interrupted, and her life would never be the same again because of the visit of the angel. So much for the nice, quiet, simple life Now her whole existence, her whole rest of her life would be on the front stages of of, of history. And so let's read in in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. We're going to read her story here and see this interruption that happened. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. 
And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at this saying, and at this saying, and, and trying to discern what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, be called holy the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and, and this is, the, and, and is in the sixth month with, with her, uh, who was once called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed her. Now, this is pretty exciting. Also, some very overwhelming news that she was going to conceive a son through and by the Holy Spirit. And it would be, this little baby would be the Messiah, the, the one that they were all waiting for as the Jewish people. And there would be some questions. She had some questions. There was some confusion about this. But ultimately, we see her, 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 her reaction is one of humility and saying, I'm your servant. And she worships. As you see a little later on in the chapter, she gives this amazing song of testimony towards the goodness of God. And in verse 38, though, she says, let it be according to your word. She said, okay, what happens to you and to me when God messes up our plans? When things don't turn out like we want and our hopes and our dreams get dashed and changed? Is there that faith and that confidence in God that he will see us through? Is our reaction one of acceptance and worship? You know, worship can oftentimes be an indicator of what's going on in our heart. Not always, but oftentimes it can be. And I've seen this over the years, being involved in church work and, and seeing people who walk in the doors and maybe they don't know Christ or, or maybe they're, they're, they're prodigals or, or they're really struggling, they're bottled up and, and they, they can't sing, they, they're just unable to or don't want to sing. But as the Lord starts doing a work in their life and he's softening and he's changing and transforming their hearts, they become worshipers and, and their mouths and start to move and their hands start to, to, to get raised or express different ways of adoration to God worship and and oftentimes our worship is a heart that that is being set free that has been set free i wonder today how many of you would say that our typical response when life gets interrupted is is one of acceptance and humility and worship i wasn't quite there this morning making the phone calls to the storage company and i wasn't worshiping <laughs> nor was i very excited about what was going on and you know what I think even in my own heart, that became an indicator of, okay, Meldon, I'm in control. I want to teach you guys something here today. I wonder how many of us would say our typical response would be like Mary, that when our plans get interrupted and changed, and maybe it's not through an angel messenger, because most of us, I don't think, have really had that before in our lives, but when circumstances come our way, when the phone call happens, the email, the conversation, the news comes your way, and life is altered forever what's our action what's our reaction 
Or what if it's not even a forever altering, it just kind of alters our plans for this Christmas? You know, I had this all planned out, and now you're just messing it all up. Whether it's the big things or whether it's the small thing, what is our reaction? Oh, great, not this again. I knew this would happen. This always happens to me. It's just not fair. I, are you crazy? God, God must hate me. He must be doing this to, to get even with me over some, some, something I've done. I know I can learn a lot from the example of Mary, and I need to. This is what I love about God's word, because you can find yourself in God's word. And if your reaction isn't one like Mary, um, just let's move back in chapter 1 just a little bit earlier to someone else, where you see almost a carbon copy story taking place here. And this is a very similar kind of story that happens to a man by the name of Zechariah. And this is pretty amazing because he gets um, his life a little interrupted and things haven't gone in his life the way that he wanted to. And, and here it is, same angel, it's Gabriel, gets the message. He meets with, with God. He says that he was with God and God gave him this message. And he gets, I mean, this was going to be an awesome day for Gabriel. All right, because he gets to go and tell this guy, Zachariah, guess what? That baby you guys were hoping for. I mean, he gets, I mean, don't you just love it when you get to drop the good news to somebody, when you've got just something and you just want to burst it? I sometimes have seen it with, with families trying to keep it a secret uh, to perhaps their children that they're going to go on, you know, to Disney World or go on some kind of a trip or, or an engagement kind of thing where they didn't see it coming and you kind of know the news and you get to spread the news, you get to share the news. You just kind of love that. Well, Gabriel, this was a kicking day to be an angel. Not all the days were like that. He's looking in the Old Testament, and they, they had some pretty lousy days, but this was a cool day. So he goes, he tells Zechariah this incredible news. And this is what I love about God's word, is that it shows the good, like we see in Mary, and it shows the bad and the ugly that we get to see here in Zechariah. It doesn't cover things up and try to just make it that everyone is all perfect and ziplocked up and has their life together. No, it shows us for the real raw warts and all kind of people that are on this earth, people like you and me. And so today I trust that we can relate to Mary, we can learn from Mary, and maybe some of us can perhaps relate a little bit more to the Zechariah account of a life interrupted. And Zechariah is a priest. He has this wife, Elizabeth, who for years had been trying to have a child. Their hopes and their dreams just weren't happening. It wasn't happening in the way that they wanted. And let, let's take a look in Luke chapter 5, or Luke chapter 1, verse 5. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren. And both were advanced in years. Now, here you have Zechariah, godly man of the priestly line, married a godly woman from the lineage of Aaron. Like, you've got really good blood flow here. I mean, you've got history of God's blessing in these individuals, in their, in their family heritage, in the family tree, just one of faithfulness. And together, they serve God faithfully. It says they live blameless lives. Not perfect li lives, but blameless lives. I mean, no one had anything bad to say about them. They, they, they did everything correctly and properly, and they honored God faithfully as they served him. He was a faithful priest. And, and together they hope for one thing, 
one thing from God, and it never happened. They were childless. She was unable to have children. But why? Why, God? Why can't we have kids? We'd be great parents. It's a problem with Zacharias, a problem with Elizabeth. No doubt some wondering and kind of finger pointing. And here we see Zachariah and Elizabeth, and I think something that can be in all of us. And that's hope anticipated. We have some hope that is anticipated. I think we have it on the screen. John Luke, if you can put that on the screen, please. Hope anticipated. And, and in, their, in this day, it was a big deal that they didn't have a child. I mean, this carried a huge social, so, social stigma for them. You see, children were a sign of God's blessing. You had lots of children. You were really blessed by God. It was very easy to tell. <laughs> I remember one day, uh, there were six kids in our family. And, uh, and by the time we had number six, my dad was standing in the church hallway one time with the youngest. And his hair was quite gray at that time. And, and, uh, and this young whippersnapper, young punk of a kid, young dad is holding his little kid. And he's like, oh, is this your grandkid? He's like, no, it's... Just another one of mine, you know, number six. And, and then, I don't think it was him, it was another guy when he heard that story. He says, you know, Harold, uh, the Lord did say to be fruitful and to multiply and replenish the whole earth. But he didn't give you the whole contract. Just remember that, you know. And, and, and so anyways, having lots of children, a sign of God's blessing, and, and it can be a good thing. And they didn't have any children. This was a huge mark on their forehead. Barren. Maybe it was a big B that they felt like they were walking around. The letter B, well, I don't know what it would be in their language, but it would be this mark on their forehead. What's wrong with them? He must have ticked God off. He must be a little angry at them. Oh, they look like they're the perfect couple on the outside, but there must be something going on on the inside. You see, children were inheritance from the Lord. Someone to not only take care of you, but it was part of your inheritance. It was part of God's blessing and barrenness. Being barren was a huge mark on their forehead. Mark of shame, suspicion, and today, I mean, even for couples when they're unable to conceive a child, it's very hard to accept. We've, we've walked with family and friends through this area of disappointment in their lives and how hard it would be for them and is for them to see other couples at times have multiple children or unwed mothers have multiple children that, that don't really seem to care very much for their children and, and very, very tough and and, and it can be such a, a difficult journey and, and a very lonely journey at time. And, and, and whether it was for Zechariah and Elizabeth or even today, God, why? It's not fair. It's not right. What's wrong with me? I wonder today, what is the mark on your forehead? What is the area of disappointment? Maybe it's an area of shame. Maybe it's an area of regret. Maybe it's singleness struggling with a failed marriage and you just think it's so so out there on my forehead everyone sees it maybe it's not getting that promotion working hard and always getting overlooked and so you kind of walk around and you're just wondering people must think i'm not working very hard or you're working 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 you're not getting anywhere or not getting that promotion or your kids aren't walking with the lord and in certain circles you can feel that pressure and that stigma and you don't even want to go some places at times because you just think oh they're all going to be looking at me or they all know my story when really they don't 
But we think that and we build it up in our minds and, 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 and we get thinking, people are, are, are thinking, oh, what's wrong with them? You know, single for a season, you know, or, or not, not for a season, but for a reason, you know, there's got to be a reason behind it. Or, you know, and there can be a sting to what people say at times when, when we walk around with these kind of things. I remember one time as a kid growing up, southern Saskatchewan, and my dad had a grain farm, and we'd spend our summers out there. And one year, it was a terrible drought. I mean, our, our, our wheat crops were heading out, and they were this tall, and it was just disastrous. And there's grass, grasshoppers, and we went to church, and we lived about an hour away is where we, we lived during the rest of the year and where we went to church. And one of the men in our church just lived close to Regina, had a number of thunderstorms that year, and he had bumper crops. It was amazing. And he had these great, big, tall, green crops, no problem with grasshoppers. My dad's crops were like, this and they talk a little bit about it on a Sunday and and one day this guy said to him he said Harold must be sin in your life and he said it kind of jokingly but even for my dad and and it, it it rattled him and I overheard him talking to my mother and even for a kid then hearing that kind of thing and and even though we talked about it 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 bothered me because then I think well maybe this is God just getting even maybe this is God getting is, is that what God is like? Is, is it sin in my life? Is there something I've done? Is there something I've done to deserve this? Or how about the guy who goes to family wedding after family wedding and there's that one aunt who's always there and she comes up to him and says, hits him in the, in the rib cage with her elbow afterwards and said, don't worry, you'll be next. So they go to family funeral next and he goes up to her afterwards and elbows her and says, don't worry, you'll be next. You know, I, I don't know if he actually did that, but it uh, might be kind of tempting to do something like that at times, you know, because what people can sometimes say in that can be hurtful and hard. It can be tough. Not just the words, but the paranoia that we can feel. I wonder what is our response in our lives when our hopes and dreams and our plans get interrupted we have hopes that are anticipated, but do we have going on? Do we believe that God has a good plan for our lives? God has a good plan for our lives. Zechariah and Elizabeth knew the scriptures. They knew Jeremiah 29, no doubt, where it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to, to prosper you, not to harm you. I mean, we put that, I mean... People put that on their wedding invitations. They put it on at, at, at high school grads and college grads. And we like to give that to, to people as a, as a form of encouragement, that verse. You know, that God has a good plan. He wants to bless you and prosper you. We know these verses and we hear them, we read them, and yet sometimes we can have a hard time believing them. We hear that God is good and yet sometimes we question and wonder, is he really good? Until now we look here. Zachariah and Elizabeth, they're old. It's just a little bit different of a story than Mary's, and yet we see kind of a different reaction, even though a similar news. And in verse 18 of Luke chapter 1, it says, And Zachariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For, I am, for I'm an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. What he's basically saying here is, I'm old, but you should look at her. The way that you take, and, and, and I mean, he was even just saying, I mean, she's passed. I mean, she's, her birth certificate, it says expired across it. I mean, when she sneezes, dust comes out her nostrils. That's basically what he was saying here, you know. And so, I'm old, but you should see her. And the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel. I, I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that 
these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. For Mary, it was a response of wonder and amazement and humility. And yes, she has some questions, but, but there's acceptance of this. But, but then for Zachariah, it was scorn and disbelief, and, and he's negative. I'm old, and my wife, well, she's expired. Uh, I need more proof. How will this happen? If you can relate to Zechariah, then you need to remind yourself, and I need to remind myself. And here's the second thing. When hope is, hope sometimes is delayed. Sometimes our hopes are dashed. Sometimes our hopes are destroyed. And it's in those times we must believe that God's ways are higher than our ways. He has a plan in and above all of those things. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. It's when we can't trust the ways of God, we need to trust the heart of God. That he loves us. He's crazy about us. He desires that close relationship with us. He desires to bless us. And we must believe that, that when we can't trust his ways and we don't understand his ways, that we trust his heart. Zechariah was disciplined for his unbelief. He's, he's disciplined for this cynical response. For nine months, he's not allowed to, to hear anything and he's not allowed to speak anything. He's unable to talk. He's unable to hear now, just be careful here. I don't want you to jump to inclusions. <gasps> so if I ever doubt God, if I ever kind of question him, is, am I going to get hit like that? Am I going to become deaf and mute in, in, in that same kind of way? Am I going to get in trouble? Is, is, is God going to whack me in that? Folks, God isn't punishing Zachariah here. You know what he's doing? He's disciplining him. In Hebrews 12, 6, God, God disciplines those that he loves. This isn't punishment, but it's correction. It's training. The right kind of discipline that we are to do as parents is not for punishment per se. It's, there's an aspect to that, but there's a big part of it that is for our, our training and for correction of our children. And God disciplines those that he loves. Yes, there are times that our consequences to sin mean that there's a certain punishment that comes. That there, you reap what you sow. We believe that. That's the law of the harvest. And, and that these things happen. And, and yet, it's even in those times we can cling to the Lord. Folks, you need to understand this. When, when God disciplines you and you are going through some divine discipline, he's not paying you back. You've got to understand that. He is not going around with a baseball bat just looking to whack you. You've got to understand, that's not our God. He doesn't treat us like that. You sinned, whack, you know, and you, know, and you keep doing this, and you keep falling, and you keep repenting, and you keep falling, whack, whack. He doesn't do that. That's not our God. Yes, there are those consequences, but God is not paying us back. He's wanting to correct us. And this silence for Zechariah is actually God's love for Zechariah. He's allowing him to go through this. He's allowing him to be deaf and mute, not to hear anything, not to be able to speak anything. Some of you right now, I think, probably already know a few people who you wouldn't mind having this happen to. It'd be nice to go nine months not hearing from that person, not hearing them speak or not having to talk to them, knowing they can't understand me. Zachariah didn't have joy, he and his wife. You can even read that a little later on because 
just the, the shame and the embarrassment that they had felt that here they are, they're going through the spiritual motions, keeping the law, they're going through all this, but his response just shows a, a life that has become bitter and skeptical and negative and it's built over the years. And folks, this can be a similar pattern for us as church people. We can go through the spiritual motions. We know the answers, but when life is treated as hard and it hasn't been fair, it's easy for us at times to become bitter, to become kind of indignant and, and have disappointment with God because things haven't turned out. We are embarrassed, and, and, and yet we kind of keep on going, and, and we just go through the motions. But inside, it's ugly inside. It's hard. It's, it's bitter. It's rotting. It, it's just not good. And, and just remember, God isn't coming after us with the bat to hit us. The wrath and the penalty for our sin has already been done. Was done in Jesus Christ. It was paid by Jesus. God comes along not with the bat to hit us, to whack us when we sin. He comes along with the scalpel to cut and to chisel out those areas in our life that are going to cause us problems or are causing us problems. He comes on as a divine surgeon wanting to, to, to come alongside carefully and, and to lovingly care for us and, and to come alongside us in that way. Look at his response later in the chapter when, when John was born. Love it. First words come out of his mouth. Worship. Worship. He finally gets it. Love that. You can read that story a little later on today or into this week. We need to know and believe that God has a plan for us and it is good. No matter what you're looking at right now, no matter what's going on in your life, his first words after this time out, during this time of discipline, is one of worship. In the end, we see then hope fulfilled. Romans 8, 28, that God works all things together for our good. And this process is a lifelong journey. The reason our hearts are oftentimes not happy. A lot of times why our hearts kind of feel unfulfilled, it's, it's not because we don't have that house or because we don't have that certain job or because our children aren't the way that we had hoped and planned or, or because our marriage hasn't gone in the way that we thought or our body isn't quite the way that we had hoped our body would be or our finances aren't where they're all at. It's because we have a warped view of God and of his love and of his blessing. You see, the prosperity gospel, the prosperity preachers, I mean, they have it partially right. I must admit, they, they're right. God wants to give you stuff. He does. But do you want to see a vein pop out on my head? That means my blood pressure is starting to rise and get a little, little hot. I, all I have to do is watch a little uh, docu documentary or read an article on what some of these prosperity guys are saying, how they misuse God's word to talk about God wanting to give you stuff. How they want you to give and to give first of all, to them, but believe that you will be debt-free or you have all these wonderful, amazing promises from God. They misuse God's word. The best gifts that God gives to you are not the cars. It's not the picture-perfect marriage. It's not the family. It's not the house. It's not the vacations, not having the right look. The best gift, what God wants to give us as his children is himself, purchased by Christ on the cross. And as we realize this, and as we grow in this reality and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we come to see that we've been created for another world. We haven't been created for this world. Created for 
the world to come, the kingdom to come. That it's, life is not about image and reputation and stuff. And it's so hard living in a materialistic culture, living here in Kelowna. It's so tough because the world wants to press you into its mold and, and, and keep believing this. Jesus' primary mission, why he came here to this earth, was to restore us. Why? Because he loves us. He's crazy about us. He loves you enough to let you go through what you are going through right now. He's God. He has the ability to change your circumstances just like that. He's allowing you to go through it. Through a season. Through a decade. Maybe it's decades of barrenness. In various areas we've talked about here today. He loves you so much that his son was sent to be slaughtered on our behalf. And he loves us today, right here, right now. Not the future version of you. Not the one that has its act together. Not the one that's kind of spending all the time in God's word in the way that you have that ideal kind of thing that a good Christian should. And, and, and not, you know, that, that, that person who doesn't struggle with that addiction any longer. He doesn't love the future, future version of you. He loves the version of you today. Right here, right where you're at. And he wants to envelop you with his love and his grace and his mercy. And at times, he takes us through seasons of discipline and difficulty. So that we can come to that point of that absolute surrender to him. That's where Zechariah came. That point where he could no longer hear the noise. It was just him and God. First Christmas was about hope. Coming. And our first Christmas, may it be here as a church of rediscovering true hope. That hope isn't in a good life. That hope has a name and his name is Jesus. And we run to him. I absolutely love this, this picture that we have here. I, oh, can, you, can, can one of you turn out the, the full lights? You've got to see this. The, this. This picture to me just does something for me when... See, there's that hole in our heart that, first and foremost, is only filled through a relationship with Jesus Christ. The understanding that Christ came to this earth and lived that perfect life. And we're getting ready to party about his birth, but you know what? The big party is really the Easter. Easter celebration. Harvest, we love to celebrate Easter because that is where the penalty for our sins, that's where that hole in our heart is made so it could be fixed, and whoever receives that, receives the gift of salvation from Jesus Christ, that hole gets filled, and we try filling that hole with everything and anything. And it's only a hole, it's only an area, and only a piece that's going to fit in there that can be put there by receiving this life that Christ has done. You can turn up the lights. Hit one of them. One thing about Mary is that she realized she needed some help. She needed some support. She needed to find a kindred spirit to, to help her. And that's what I love, again, about God's word is we see that she hears about Elizabeth and she realizes, I got to go spend some time with, with my relative Elizabeth. She's walking through some of the same thing. 
she spent three months with her, probably helping her with the last part of her pregnancy, but no doubt the two of them walking together, learning together, trying to figure out what life is going to look like together for them. And again, folks, this just speaks to me. It just yells to me about how we need community, how we need brothers and sisters in the body of Christ to walk with us and not just our family, just not perhaps a spouse or a sister or somebody in our household. We need outside help. We need the body of Christ. We need others to walk with us. We need to be able to have people that we can go to, we can talk with, we can share with, and not just people that are just a listening ear and say, oh yeah, you were wrong, you were wrong, that wasn't right, but, but people who can come alongside and point you to God's word and pray with you and speak the word of truth to you, even though at times we may not want to hear the word of truth. And we need to be there and available to speak God's word and God's truth to others. And it will take courage to do that kind of a thing, to open up and, and courage to receive counsel, courage to give advice and to give counsel. But that is what the body of Christ is all about, is what we are called to do. And just go back to that last slide there. Hope. Oh, just the other way. Hope anticipated. God has a plan for your life. For the next three months, ten months, ten years, he has a plan that is good. But sometimes it's, there's going to be delays. Sometimes those hopes, those dreams will be dashed. Sometimes they will be destroyed. But one way or another... We keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Our hopes, our real hopes, will be fulfilled. And remember, we, we've been built for another kingdom. God works all things together for our good. Let's pray together. Just with heads bowed and spending a few moments just looking at our own heart, I wonder today how many of us in our heart of hearts, we may feel a little bit like Zechariah and Elizabeth. Feeling maybe a little scorned by life. And it's even hard now to believe the promises of God. It's easy to become cynical and skeptical and hard on the inside. We, I mean, these kind of things we often won't admit to people. But it's there. It's rotting you. It's eating you from the inside. I have a question for you. If your life circumstances don't change for the good for the next year, the next 10 years, for the rest of your life, the thing you've been hoping for never happens in the way that you were hoping. Here's the question. Will Christ be enough for you? Has hope, real hope, invaded your life? Hope is never, ever found in a situation, a person, relationship with another person or a location because each one of those will let you down. Hope is found, ultimate hope is found in a, the person, in the work of Jesus Christ. 
You say, yes, 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 I, I received Christ into my life many years ago. Yes, 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 I believe that. But you're feeling on the inside like Zachariah and Elizabeth. Allow this hope, the hope of Christmas, the hope of Jesus to enter into your life in a fresh way even here today. As we sing together a song of declaration, may this be that prayer. May this be a declaration that it's in Christ alone that your hope is found. You may need to just confess and spend some time with the Lord after the service and into this week of just saying, okay, Lord, I don't, I don't want to be a scorned person for the rest of my life. I want to be someone who, like Zechariah, sings and worships your praises. Because you know what, really, in reality, Zechariah and Elizabeth, their, their hopes were fulfilled. They had a son. He prepared the way for Jesus. He was never around to take care of them. But they were responsible as parents to help prepare the way for Christ. And as we respond in obedience, even though sometimes it's so hard, we prepare the way for Christ to fill our lives in that fresh way and take out the rotting stuff and and they're hurt. He, he takes that and we take and we put that at the foot of the cross and we pray to Jesus to fill us in a new way with hope and with healing. It's a process. It's not a quick thing. It takes time for Zechariah. It was in nine months. But as we walk with others, as we're people of the word, we will be set free and be people discovering here at our first Christmas as a church. Jesus is our hope, our ultimate hope. Let's worship together.